1: What happens when our trust has been broken and we have been betrayed, it can cause us to feel a lack of confidence in ourselves. It can put us onto shaky ground. So it's important that we observe what happened, we acknowledge it to ourselves, we give permission for those feelings to service, and we got to get support. We go after finding another person who can support us to do the next most important thing Step which is reframing that experience and Srini, we reframe when we take that hurt and that pain and that disappointment and we actually consider what can that help us to learn.
2: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com.
3: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance.
1: Hi, Srini. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to uh, our time together. Yeah.
2: So, you know, I came across your work by way of your publicist who happens to also be the publicist for Sally Hogshead. And, uh, you know, she told me a little bit about the work that you guys were doing. And I was really kind of, you know, blown away by it because it was, you know, a social science research based approach to trust, but yet you're sort of a business consultancy as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But before we get into your actual work, um, I want to start with something that I haven't started with before, which I I thought was really interesting based on, on something I heard on another podcast but um when you look back at your life what are some of the seemingly unrelated experiences that played uh, an influential and informative role in uh what you've ended up doing with your life and your career
1: uh they've really been um i love that question by the way thank you uh they've been uh, extraordinary experiences and influences that i've had um by people who have played pivotal roles in my life. And I, I can go back to early stage childhood uh, in the influential role that somebody like my grandmother uh, played in my life and how that's continued to be reference points for me to, to this very day.
2: So can you expand with more specifics?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, my grandmother helped me to learn uh, was a wonderful role model for me uh, of leadership and of service. And when I was a little girl, I used to go and visit my grandmother who worked in a camera shop in Harvard Square. Now, my grandmother, as a, as a camera shop store clerk, you know, had the traditional role that many of us might think about in that she, um, you know, ran the register, she, uh, swept floors and she helped take orders for developing film and would service clients when, you know, customers when they came into the store. But my grandmother saw her role much bigger than that. The primary base of the customers at that point in time, and Srini, I'm going back, you know, over 50 years at this juncture. And so my grandmother was a working woman, which was very unusual at that period of time. Again, I'm going back over 50 years. But my grandmother didn't view herself as the traditional store clerk. My grandmother viewed herself in service to those customers. And most of her customers were Harvard professors. She was there in Harvard Yard in the Harvard Square in this camera shop. So as the Harvard professors would come in, my, my grandmother would get to know them. She would learn about their lives. She would come to understand what they were doing. And when she would take their orders, or films, you know, roles of film to be developed, she saw what she was taking and running for them as an order in service to them. Because quite often these these professors were using the film that was being developed to bring concepts and ideas to life in their classroom. So my, my grandmother taught me, uh, gave me some very early stage seeds of of the whole concept of being in service, in making a contribution to the highest interest of others and the power of those relationships. She didn't just sweep floors and run a register and take orders for film development. She got to know these people and they got to know her and she forged relationships that lasted many, many, many years. And when it came time for her to retire in the days before her last day in her retirement, she had customers coming in and giving her gifts and giving her flowers and thanking her for her service and her contribution. And that all began with her attitude and her outlook and her view of the importance of relationships and bringing your best self to them.
2: You know, it's interesting. Uh, It sounds to me like she took something that, you know, seemingly on the surface would be sort of written off as a, a sort of blue collar job. And found this sort of greater sense of meaning, purpose, and mission in what she was doing. And as a result, uh, ended up, you know, finding a lot in this work. And I'm curious, you know, if people feel that they're lacking that in their work, which I I think many people often do, um, I'm curious, you know, based on your experiences, what you would say to them.
1: Well, I... I I often, um, you know, I'm having this kind of a conversation with people and, and I encourage each person to, you know, take a momentary pause and to and when I say momentary Pashrini, you know I don't necessarily mean that literally, uh, but often um, people are struggling because they're looking for the they're looking to the outside world for their signals or cues of their self worth or or what it is that um, gives them meaning, and it begins with each and every one of us. So there's something very powerful when each of us do take pause at different points and times in our lives and reflect on the trajectory of our life and reflect on who we are. And how we have shown up and what are things we have said are done that have contributed to other people and what has served as a, as a point of fulfillment for us and what have we experienced that has gratified us in typically speaking what we discover it is rooted in what we have given, what we have contributed to other people where we might have provided some support, where we might have given insight to help somebody complete a specific task or assignment or somebody may have been up against a wall and reached out to us for help and we stepped in and gave it and that felt really good and when we reflect on those kinds of experiences and exchanges it can help us become more tuned into what we have to give others the contribution and the difference that we make and that gives us some seeds for fulfillment.
2: So, in your own life, um, what were sort of inflection points where you were uh, pausing and reflecting and looking at the trajectory of your life that uh, ended up planting seeds for what you ended up doing?
1: I, um, you know, throughout I, um, I take pause, and in, in typically speaking, um, it's that key. Transitional points in my life or periods where I might have experienced a setback um or a disappointment or a letdown. Um and and also reflecting on what what am I seeing outside of me. So as a very specific example, Srini, there was a time in my life when I was um in the earlier stages of my professional life. And I'm going back about 25 years ago. And this actually what I'm about to share with you seated my what became as my life's work. But I was in the early stages of building a consulting practice um, along with my now husband, um, Dennis Reyna, and I was working with organizations in a very broad, general way. I was helping them through organizational um, change and strategic planning and um, often leaders would talk with me about struggles and challenges where teams were not necessarily uh, performing at what they felt were their highest level or change efforts that were stalling out. And leaders would turn to me and ask me to help them understand what was going on that was getting in the way of people doing their best work. And at that time in response, I would often step into an organization and sit down and talk with people and have conversations with teams and individuals and and ask them questions to help me and them gain some insight into what was really getting in the way of people doing their best work. And again and again and again, what I heard people talk about was trust. I heard them talk about breakdowns in trust. I heard them talk about the reluctance to trust in their leaders or trust in their colleagues or trust in their teammates. And I heard them talk about trust in very broad, general terms. But the primary theme that I heard again and again and again was that the breakdown in trust or the absence of trust is what held them back and moved them into periods of judgment and criticism where they didn't feel they could do their best. So at that time, quite honestly, I, I didn't fully understand what they were talking about. I felt myself as a professional ill equipped to help them find creative solutions to these dilemmas. So here I was as the person that these leaders would turn to for help to these presenting challenges. And I myself didn't understand them. So I had to take a very big Pause and reflect on what I was hearing, what this was telling me, where I felt confident to be of support, and where I didn't, and that led me to stepping into that that aspect that I didn't fully understand and go to work on it. Um, so that opened the door, Shreeni, and what I did is I began reading everything I could get my hands on. I was in, I was in graduate school at the time, studying for my doctorate, so I leveraged. That academic experience. And coming out of that, yeah, I had a lot of answers, but more questions. So my husband and I, we were hooked um, by this need to more fully understand trust, so we could support leaders and their teams to build it. And that set us out on a journey. Um, so to summarize, you know, what, what causes me to take a momentary reflection frequently in my life is when there are things going on outside of me that I want to more fully understand needs to request that others have of me that I want to pay attention to and how I can dig deeper and continue to grow in my own experience in service to them. Mm
2: -hmm. You know so in addition to transitions you mentioned periods of setbacks Uh, Mm -hmm. I am really curious kind of you know what your personal setbacks have been um, how you've navigated them and, and more importantly what you've learned from them.
1: Oh, I've had setbacks where um, you know people that I've entrusted to um, do some work for me and my company. Um, have not delivered as promised, where I've hired people to do a piece of work and they may not have delivered it on time. So here I was up against a wall because I had a broader deliverable that that was associated to with a client. And here I was up against a wall because I had made commitments and obligations to others and was counting on that work being delivered to me. And it may not have been, in some cases, was not delivered to me on time. And in other cases where it was delivered insufficiently, it didn't meet expectations and didn't meet standards. So I found myself, you know, up against a wall and struggling to, um, you know, to navigate that. Um, and I've had that as periodic experiences throughout my professional life and where my trust in others has been broken and has created a momentary setback. Um, So I've had to learn when there is a breakdown in the interpersonal space of the relationship and my trust in another has been made vulnerable. In this particular case, I'm talking about somebody who may not have come through. There's a disappointment because there's a relationship there. I've leaned on them and relied on them and am depending on them. And when they don't come through, I've had to learn how to, how to rebound and how to recover and how to rebuild trust in that relationship.
2: Mm. Um, outside of your grandmother, um, who were some of the earlier mentors um, who shaped uh, the path that you ended up taking and, and, you know, what did you learn from them?
1: Well, my father um, was a very significant mentor. Um, My father is the person who helped me really learn, um, about compassion. Uh, and compassion is a very key characteristic in helping to build trusting relationships, um, because which is what my, area focuses and my life's work is helping people to build trusting relationships help leaders build cultures of tr- of trust and to transform lives and my father was a um was a prisoner of war my father was taken into captivity when he was a very young man in the Korean War and he was held in captivity uh for 3 years and endured some grueling grueling Um, experiences. And at at one point, um, my father um, was tortured and was um, uh, severely betrayed by an American soldier and uh, suffered tremendously as a result of it. And at the time, he was uh, held in northern Korea in a in a camp uh, as prisoner uh, of the Korean War, and their life circumstances at that time, Srini, were beyond what you and I can um, you know really even imagine. But to to give you a little bit more of a sense of it, um, northern Korea can be one of the coldest places um, on the planet in the winter. It gets to be below. Forty degrees. Um, my father was living in these uh, hut-like barracks um, in very, very challenging conditions. Uh, their clothing were very thin, uh, lightweight um, cotton clothing, and the barracks that they lived in uh, had dirt floors. and Prisoners were fed uh, maggot-infested bowls of porridge each day. And my father told me the story of how at night it wouldn't be uncommon for, um, a, you know, a prisoner, an American soldier in captivity to not make it through the night. And in the morning when the soldiers would wake up, they may find a person uh, who had died during the night. And These soldiers slept on mattress pads that were on the ground and they would line them up in very close, tight proximity to one another so they could rely on one another's body for warmth. So it was very evident and apparent to them when they would wake up in the morning and find a soldier who had not made it through the night. And the living would often prop that body up to give the appearance of um a person being alive because it represented another person and another bowl of sorage, uh porridge so i I share this with you to to help set a context of the kind of conditions that these soldiers were living in and enduring at that time uh, and my father um, found ways to become very creative in order to survive and one of the things that he did one day is he ripped the corners off of his um, blanket and he tucked them into the tips of his canvas sneakers to kind of layer his toes to give him another uh, coating of warmth. Well, in the morning when the um, uh, the guards came to inspect the quarters, one of the guards ripped the blanket off of my father's mattress to reveal the ripped corners and immediately took my father to the commanding officer where he was reprimanded and accused of violating their property. Well that act set my father into a cell in solitary confinement in very dark cold quarters for 3 months where he suffered enormously when he was released he weighed 78 pounds and was barely alive. And to make a longer story short what he discovered is that a fellow soldier had snitched on him for those torn those torn corners in order to earn Another bowl of porridge, a pack of cigarettes, a chocolate bar. Um, So my father suffered, you know, a very significant betrayal by a fellow soldier. But throughout his life, my father did not harbor bitterness and resentment towards that person. My father learned to forgive that person and to choose life and to move on with his life. And what helped him to do that was the source of compassion. So my father has throughout my life served as a role model for me and a teacher as a source for compassion and forgiveness and how important those ingredients are for having healthy relationships where we can continue to trust another
2: Okay. So <clears throat> that raises a question. So you know, when we experience a significant betrayal or, or a significant violation of trust or in some way are hurt by another person. Yes. Um, I think our our gut reaction isn't one of compassion, at least in my experience. That's not the, Right. First, that's not the first response. Right. Um, the first response is more like a series of F-bombs wondering why you let this person into your life. <laughs>
1: yeah, so, a series of F-bombs and perhaps a strategy of how we can get back.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I guess the question is, um, in dealing with people who have betrayed us in some way, even if we may not ever find, you know, like literally be able to talk to that person, yeah. um, how, do you, how do you find forgiveness and compassion in situations like that? And how do you let go and move on from situations like that?
1: You know, it's, it's, uh, it is a, it is a process. Um, it's not always easy. And I think that's some of the, the deepest work that we as human beings have to do. Um, actually, my, my husband, Dennis, and I developed a framework to help us as individuals, together people, um, to move through, um, the uh, the disappointment and hurt that comes with betrayal. It's it's actually called Seven Steps to Help Us Rebuild Trust, and we actually wrote a book about it called Rebuilding Trust. Um, but those seven steps begin with the most important first piece for us to do, Srini, is to is to uh, acknowledge for ourselves what has happened. Sometimes we all want to just move through our hurt and pain very rapidly, or we may tend to stuff our emotions. We just want to get on with life. But there is something that's very important for us to um acknowledge what happened, give voice to ourselves, the impact that had, that that has had on us, how we have been hurt, how we've been disappointed, how we've been let down, how that impacted us and to allow our feelings to to surface and to give ourselves permission to feel what it is that we're feeling. We may feel hurt. We may feel confused. We may feel angry. We may feel uncertain. What happens when our trust has been broken and we have been betrayed it can cause us to feel a lack of confidence in ourselves. It can put us onto shaky ground. So it's important that we observe what happened, we acknowledge it to ourselves, we give permission for those feelings to service, and we got to get support. We go after finding another person who can support us to do the next most important step, which is reframing that experience. And Srini, we reframe when we take that hurt and that pain and that disappointment and we actually consider what can that help us to learn? How could we potentially grow from this? And the person who hurt us, we find compassion when we actually consider what else might have been going on For them, what point of struggle might they have been in? We consider actually giving them the benefit of the doubt and we wonder what point of pain they may have been in that caused them to behave in that way. So we shift from judging and blaming and wanting to get back at them and making them wrong to holding them out as a human being. Who might have been in a point of struggle, and we open our heart and we extend that compassion and benefit of the doubt, and then we gotta take responsibility for how we're going to move on. Because when we hone in, as you said, you know, we may consider, you know, the whole series of f bombs that come out of our mouth and all the strategies we begin to imagine of how we can get back at them. Because there's a human uh, fundamental dynamic at play. Is sometimes when we hurt we hate. And when we hate, we want to get back. Um, so we shift out of that by extending that compassion and we have to do a deep dive and consider our own responsibility and honestly consider, is there a role that we played in what went down? And we may not have, but we always have a role in how we choose to respond. And it does not serve us to get locked into giving, getting back, and getting even, it only hurts us and erodes trust within ourselves.
2: So, this is really interesting to me because, um, you know, I, like I've asked this for, for personal reasons—the the question that I just did—and I can intellectually completely understand everything that you're saying. Um, mm-hmm. It makes all the sense to the world, in the sense of the world to me. Like I could read your books and I could be like, "All right, I get it." But intuitively, putting it into practice in my mind is a whole different story because despite knowing what you just said, if you had told me this in any of these periods in which trust was violated between me and another person, I could intellectually understand it, but I know myself well enough to know that I'm still going to end up in this endless loop of thinking about all these horrible things. So I'm wondering how you make the shift from intellectually understanding it to intuitively making it part of the, the way you just see the world, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, well, let me give it a shot and, and let's kind of step into it together. Um, you know, the first is that we all have a choice to make at the beginning. And, you know, the first choice point is, do I want? Do I want to remain locked into this pain and this hurt and this disappointment and this suffering? Do, do I want to remain locked into that? Um, sometimes people choose to remain locked into it. I call that the pathway of the victim. Or do I want to um, step into it? Do I want to learn and grow from it? I am a big, big advocate for getting support. Um, so my first piece of counsel to you, to myself, to anybody is to consider where we can go for support, and support is often a trusted friend, a trusted colleague. Uh, It may be, um, you know, in a workplace setting, there may be a coach uh, or a co-worker that we can turn to, but a trusted um, person that we can go to and talk about what happened, not to give us a solution or not to um, give us the the kind of uh, assurance that, oh, yes, what that person did is absolutely horrible. But to help us step in more fully to understanding for ourselves what happened, who can be that sounding board and can help us move into that reframing. We reframe when we do consider what are the bigger picture? What are the options that are available to me? What choices can I make? It can be at times challenging for any of us because we may not always know what went on with that other person and we may not even be able to have a dialogue with that other person, but we can have a dialogue with ourselves and we can consider options and choices that we're going to make for ourselves. Does that help?
2: Oh yeah, that helps tremendously. So it's, it's interesting. We've looked at this um, almost entirely through a very personal lens. So I want to you know look at it through another lens and that is the lens of leadership within organizations, which I know you brought up earlier. And how that uh, how how we apply this entire concept of trust in the framework that you guys have developed to be more effective within our organizations. And then we'll yes. look at it from the standpoint of brands and commerce and how that interacts, how that impacts our choices that we make. Sure. So let's start with leadership. Like, how do you apply this in the context of an organization and, and, you know, in terms of leadership to bring out the best in people?
1: Right. Well, leadership, um, you know, boy, that is so important. And when I think of leadership, uh, you know, there's one way we can think about leadership, which is sort of a traditional hierarchical uh, lens of leadership, you know, positional and structure and things of that nature. Um, I also think of leadership um, through the lens of we're all leaders of our own lives, um, but with respect to in an organizational workplace, what is most important for leaders to be aware of is trust begins with their behaviors. So there's a very big mistake that I have often seen leaders make, and that is to assume that their position, their title, or their hierarchical role is going to earn them the trustworthiness of others. The only thing that may earn them some initial credibility and may earn the attention of other people. But there's only really one thing that earns the trustworthiness of others, and it is the way we show up and we behave. I've worked with many leaders who espouse trust as a value, who will talk and state that relationships and people and trust is important to them. That's great. It's just a starting point. What's most essential is how we show up, and how we behave. Um, So I encourage leaders to consider and reflect and grow in the awareness of their own behavior. Do they do what they say they're going to do? Are they perceived as reliable and and dependable? Do their people understand what is expected of them? How do they manage their expectations of others? How do they manage agreements? Um, How is their communication perceived? Do people perceive that this leader is open and honest and transparent in their communication, how leaders show up, how they talk, how they provide feedback, how they treat mistakes, the extent to which they tell the full truth of what's going on versus spinning the truth or provide a comfortable variation of truth are examples of behaviors that build trust in leadership. And I got to tell you, Srini, leadership... Trust, you know, the trustworthiness of a leader is a critical asset that a leader cannot be effective without
2: Yeah, I, I would I would have to agree with that completely. One I guess the, the question that raises for me is when you're the person who has violated trust, let's say that you're not the person whose trust has been violated, but you're the, the offender
1: um, yes. of such a yes. thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
2: you know, I mean to me this is such a precious commodity and at moments, I think we don't place nearly enough value on it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, you know, if you're a person who, you know, is the offender of violating someone's trust, how do you gain it back? And, and, you know, I mean, um, how do you repair damage that seems irreparable at times?
1: Um, The first thing I the first the first place I want to go in answering your question is we've all been there. Um, and I appreciate your question because often when we think about trust breaking down or being damaged, we often think about uh, something the other person uh, did, you know, what another person has done to hurt me. Um, and you're hitting on a very core fundamental truth about trust. And that is that it is innately vulnerable. In all relationships, at different points in time, we may feel hurt and disappointed by another person, and there will be times that others feel hurt and disappointed by us. Generally speaking, none of us sets out to break trust. We, do, we don't wake up in the morning and think about, gee, how am I going to break trust? So by and large, the behavior that causes trust to break down is on. Un- Intentional, and what's most essential for the leader who others have been disappointed um, by, um, the most important step that they can take is to hear what the disappointment has been, to allow people to share what that disappointment has been, and to take it in and to acknowledge it, and to be able to to share the insight and the understanding that I hear. Uh, you've been let down, I hear that there's a disappointment, I hear that there's a frustration, and give voice to it. Make it safe for people to surface what their struggle is. When the leader makes it safe for that to be heard, for that to be seen, for that to be understood, that opens the door for that trust to be regained. Interesting. But, you know, Srini... Um, you know, there are, there, there's a mistake that leaders often make, and that is rather than to make it safe for what has caused trust to be break, broken, to be heard, to be seen, to be acknowledged, and then to be worked, because, you know, once it's seen and heard and acknowledged, and it's, it's safe for people to get it out on the table, then it can be worked through. The, the worst thing a leader can do is to put it aside and to justify it and rationalize it away or to make excuses or to, to defend it. That response causes trust to be even more vulnerable.
2: Wow. Um, are there cases in which it just simply is not repaired or it's one of those things where you have to make peace with the fact that it won't change?
1: There are. You know, there are situations and there are Um, those relationships that any of us may find when, you know, It's not possible to rebuild it. It's not possible to learn how to trust that or other person again. Um, not everybody wants to do this work, Srini. You know, rebuilding trust and learning how to forgive and learning how to heal and learning how to let go and move on. That requires a lot of raising of awareness and digging deep and extending of compassion and Sometimes not everybody wants to choose that pathway. Um, So there may be situations and experiences where we do not return to the relationship with that particular individual, but we can always return to a deeper place within ourselves. And we can always strengthen the relationship we have with ourselves. And we have a responsibility to do that. Because we do not want to go through life holding grudges. We do not want to go through life looking over our shoulder. We do not want to go through life standing on the edge waiting for, when's the next person going to do that to me? So we have a responsibility to ourselves to work through those hurts and disappointments and keep ourselves healthy and whole so we can trust in ourselves and have a fullness of ourselves to bring to our relationships with others.
2: Wow. Um so, it, you know, we've looked at it this through two lenses, which is, you know, people, and we've looked at it through the lens of leadership. I want to look at it through one other lens, which is through brands and through commerce and kind of the role that uh, something like trust plays in, you know, our consumer purchases and, and the brands mm-hmm. that we build and the brands that we buy. The only reason I, th- this is so fresh in my mind is because I'm reading uh, a memoir at the moment by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. Uh, mm-hmm. and you're kind of like, wow, this guy started selling shoes out of the trunk of his car for, with a $50 loan from his dad. And now it's, you know, something we recognize and universally trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm just curious kind of, you know, from the research that you guys have done, uh, how does this uh, apply from sort of a branding and a commerce perspective?
1: You know, from a branding and commerce perspective, um, you know, where I see initially some of the deepest connections to trust is do, do people feel that they can trust, what, what the promise is, what the brand promise is, uh, you know, and it's interesting because I increasingly see brands that have trust within their tagline, you know, the financial services firm that you can trust or the particular product that you can trust, you know, a key aspect to trust, you know, trust is behavioral in the space of interpersonal relationships. One dynamic in interpersonal relationships is, is their reliability? is their de- dependability can i trust that a person is going to do what they say they're going to do can i trust in their character that they will come through for me i think that's a very powerful metaphor for brands and for the brand promise you know nike is a strong brand for people who purchase Nike, there's a, uh, a confidence, a trust that I am going to get a product that delivers what the promise is that the product is going to deliver. Um, so what we experience in interpersonal space with one another is very similar. You know, another example that comes to m- comes to my mind is, um, Maui Jim. Do you know Maui Jim sunglasses? I do. Um, Maui Gym Sunglasses, Um, I love Maui Gym Sunglasses, and I'm really committed to um, that product. I have a loyalty to that product. Um, And again, there's a powerful metaphor to the interpersonal space of relationships. So another thing that builds trust, another behavioral dynamic that builds trust in interpersonal relationships is when we have an issue, or we have a concern, or we have a problem, we know that we can surface it. We can get it out on the table and talk it through and work it through together. Well, my husband and I have had a very similar experience with Maui gym sunglasses. Um, we both have Maui gym sunglasses, and not too long ago, um there became a problem with uh the pair that my husband Dennis owns and he sent them in to the company we had lost our receipt he couldn't remember when we had purchased them uh, there was so we had no tangible evidence in terms of the warranty was it within warranty was it outside of warranty um, so we sent them in and my husband wrote a note and said I honestly don't have any record of this purchase I bought it approximately within this particular time frame Maui Jim wrote back no problem we will take care of this for you and um, fix them immediately so in that brand there there is that promise of the quality and the integrity of the product itself but we're going to stand behind it and if you run into a problem we're going to help you address it so there's an interesting metaphor there between what we experience in our relationship with each other interpersonally and what's the drumbeat on the brand and what what is our tangible experience do that helps us know that we can trust in that brand
2: wow all right so um i want to go into a few sort of unrelated questions this has been just fascinating uh and, and a really interesting look at, at sort of rebuilding trust in relationships and through brands um I, I want to ask a few questions that i don't always ask but th- these have been really eye-opening um can you tell me uh, several pieces of art? So, a couple of pieces of art. You know, what book uh, do you think has been the most influential and impactful in your life that you would recommend to our listeners? Uh, in addition to that, if there is a documentary or movie, uh, what would that be?
1: Oh boy! Oh boy! Um, well, the you know when you said art, I have to tell you the the first place my mind went was to Picasso. Mm. Um, and why my, my mind went there is I, uh, very short time ago, I was in Amsterdam and I visited the Picasso Museum and uh i've been aware of picasso you know most of my life i think as, as many of us have been but what struck me in in actually being at the picasso museum and and seeing and experiencing um some of his master work in person and feeling the energy was the insight that i gained of his life and the insight that i gained is throughout picasso's life it was not an easy ride uh, you know, look at the legacy that he left and the amount of joy um, and appreciation that he has created in the world, how much pleasure people have gotten uh, from his work. But being in his museum and having an opportunity to read more about him, what I was able to discover, it was not. An easy road for him he had a lot of hurt he had a lot of disappointment he had a lot of setback and he had a lot of struggle and what helped him get through were some of the very things that you and I have talked about he always turned to support he always looked for a person he could lean on to help him move through and look at, look at what has emerged. He left behind in the world a legacy that, um, uh, you know, people continue to, um, gain a lot of joy and satisfaction from. But it was an ongoing journey that he lived in his life of stepping in and moving through again and again, breakdown, hurt, Disappointment, letdown, and setback. So, when you asked me about, um, you know, artwork, it was the very first place that my mind went was to um, was to Picasso.
2: Well, uh, this has been incredible. So, uh, I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. Okay. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Uh, their trustworthiness. Um, and their you know, through their trustworthiness of the presence that they have. And when a person trusts in themselves, and a person can live in the truth of who they are and what they have to bring to others, what they have to contribute to others, and through their trustworthiness, live with the highest best interest of others in mind we walk away from our interaction interactions with that person knowing unmistakably who they are and that we can trust them and we never forget the people that we trust and the impact that they have on us
2: well i think that was just a beautiful poetic way to to wrap up our conversation Uh, where can people learn more about you and your work
1: they can learn from me at my website, um, uh, www.reinatrustbuilding.com.
2: Awesome. Well, uh, like I said, this has been phenomenal. And uh, I, I am really, really glad uh, your publicist connected us. And I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your story and, and your insights with our listeners.
1: Thank you, Srini. I very much appreciate the, the opportunity to be with you. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the world to make a difference. Awesome.
2: And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative.
1: As soon as you are able to contemplate that things are not about you, you're moving into adult mind, which is where you can solve these problems, where you can deal with your emotional hurts. I don't mean that you shouldn't feel hurt. I mean that the whole victim position or the, the position of feeling done wrong to um, loosens up when you get into an adult mind.
2: Rosander Zander joins us to talk about Pathways to Possibility.